This is the podcast for first home buyers who want to get it right. If you're suffering from analysis paralysis, can't work out who to believe, hate dealing with agents, sick of your parents telling you where you should buy, you think the market's leaving you behind, or you're just worried about making a huge mistake, then you're in the right place. I'm Megan and that was Veronica. We're both buyers agents and probably old enough to be your mums, but it's a good thing because between us, we've got over 40 years experience to share with you. Together, we're going to make sure you get unbiased and real information that you can rely on so you can get where you need to get without missing a step. This is your first home buyer guide. If you'd like to know how we can help you buy your first home and avoid a whole heap of nasty pitfalls, head on over to the website, homebuyeracademy.com.au, and there you'll find free checklists to download, a free mini course on how to price a property, and our where to buy tutorial for only $39. Priceless stuff, really. Absolutely. But before we get into the interesting stuff in this week's episode, here's the boring stuff, the disclaimer. (laughs) Everything we talk about on the podcast is general in nature and hasn't taken into account your personal circumstances so should never be considered to be personal advice we always recommend getting the advice of a professional in their field of expertise now this could be a buyer's agent a licensed financial advisor or a mortgage broker depending on your needs the content you're about to enjoy is correct at the time of recording but things are changing on a daily basis so check with the relevant government authority or your advisors to get the most up-to-date information today's episode we're going to talk about the three biggest mistakes we see first home buyers make time and time again and of course we're going to let you know how to avoid making them yes because what are we if not a collection of experiences veronica we've <laughs> <laughs> seen a lot of them so mistake number one that we see first home buyers sometimes make or often make is taking advice from the wrong people now it might be your parents maybe your friends sprukers we're going to talk about sprukers Mm-hmm. or maybe a mortgage broker who's giving you advice outside their area of expertise. So let's tackle them all one at a time. Parents. Parents. Parents are so well-meaning. God, they really them. want to do the right thing and, and be involved and it's an exciting time in their children's lives when they're looking to buy their first home. Or maybe and they want them out of the nest. They could want them out of the house too. <laughs> yes, they want their house back. <laughs> yeah. I've heard of, of people downsizing to apartments just so that they can get their kids to get out of the house. That's hilarious. <laughs> I do sometimes say to our older clients when they're downsizing, yeah, just go get a one better. You don't want them coming back. <laughs> they can't come back then. Lost joke. <laughs> but, but really seriously, um, parents can be really really well-meaning but sometimes really quite misguided and and you know their financial help might come with some strings attached too well this is actually interesting you say that because i've come across that a number of times i've spoken to people and it's like well mum and dad are lending me this money or they're giving me this money and it's like but because they're giving it to us they want us to buy a certain type of property or in a certain area yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) usually close Yes, usually close. Mm. And sometimes that might work. Sometimes that might be a really good thing. But I think that that's a scary thing because once you're committed, 
you know, if you if it's the wrong property or you want to move or you want to rent it out or you want to upgrade or you can just imagine the conversation that you have to have with your parents when they've actually, they've helped you get into that place but it's with their own agenda, not yours. Yeah, and, and maybe their their idea about what is a good area is a little bit outdated. So some of their <laughs> biases and their advice might actually be based on when they purchased or when they lived in a particular area as a student 40 years ago. You know, things change and gentrify and, and, and the, the um, demographics in different areas could be vastly different to what their recollection of those areas are. And it might actually be a really good location for a first-home buyer. So we've got to be really careful that we're not, we're not relying on information that is outdated, um, but it's it's current. And, and sometimes parents have that that outdated idea of what a suburb, good suburb might be. Oh, that's so true, particularly if they've lived in outer suburbs. And mm. so they'll come into the inner suburbs, say, for argument's sake, the child, adult child, obviously, is looking at buying an apartment in an inner city area. And I see yeah. this in certainly in Sydney. And the parents, sometimes they'll say, I don't even want my parents to know what I'm looking at because they'll just come <laughs> and they'll look at it and go, you can't be you can't be serious. Why would you're you want to live here? Yeah, why would you pay that much money for that? Is that all you get? If you come out 50 k's outside the city, you get all this space. That's, that's <laughs> where the value is. So it's, you know, it might be true to a degree, but is it right information or the right advice for their their adult child, I keep saying their child, but their adult child. Yeah, well, yeah, still, they're, it's all, they're always going to be our babies really, aren't they, the, the kids? Uh, <laughs> I, yeah, my daughter's 14. She's a while away from buying her own property, but I do think I'd like to sort of, you know, throw out the nest. <laughs> <laughs> well, you just got to sow the seeds early enough. <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> sow the seeds of independence. Another thing, yeah, and, and, you know, it is actually funny. I remember when, when I, I couldn't wait to move out of home because my parents are quite religious and, of course, I have very little freedom. So I was like, I needed to get out of there. <laughs> I was out the day after I finished my year 12 exams. But, wow, that's... Yeah, yeah, straight you, down to the beach. You beat me by, <laughs> I don't know, a few months, but, wow, that's pretty impressive. The other thing that is a danger with relying on your parents, though, is... Um, you know that we talked about parents that sort of can't see value in in property because they're not familiar with that area. But then there's the other side of it where the alpha dads. I've seen quite a lot of alpha dads out there um, swinging something that we're probably not allowed to say on this um, podcast. <laughs> no, Veronica, don't go there. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm a potty mouth. Um, but they do help their kids overpay, and particularly in an auction area. Now, mm -hmm. I've seen, seen that, that many times. In fact, yep. one of my own properties that I did up to sell saw that really much, greatly to my advantage fantastic yes. so you had an alpha dad thousand over Whoa. over reserve uh and a hundred thousand dollars over pre-auction offers yeah and it was <laughs> it was an alpha dad uh super confident so we talk about ego and emotion being mm. the two drivers of of people who overpaid auctions so he was the ego and then there was the emotion which was a young couple again they're with with their parents but their parents were silent and, and uninvolved um but you know she was in the lady was in tears and upset and they were clearly so far over their budget but alpha dad just kept nudging the son to to keep going and, and they got it yeah i've seen that happening too i've seen it happening at you know where the actual person buying it is saying no dad no dad no oh, dad really? yes dad's still <laughs> bidding. beneficiaries dad's still bidding so they they you know just because they're older just because they've actually done it a few times before doesn't actually necessarily mean that they've got enough experience to, to actually advise you you know but 
you know, parents, we do love to be the experts. We do love to, oh, yes, son, daughter, we've done this before. The odd, I've seen the odd alpha, alpha mum too, but there's just a lot less of them than alpha dads. <laughs> Fair enough. I, I think the other thing that um, parents are very proud of is that probably the properties that they've bought have done well, but it may have been over a very long period of time and they're not anchoring or, or, or making any relative kind of comparisons to what something else might have done if they'd bought in a different area when they bought. So time will, in most cases, yield uh, some growth, some capital growth, but relative to what, you know? Yeah. So just because something's done well over the long time, if you'd bought something else in a different area at the same time for the same money, would you have, have done actually better out of it? So growth in and of itself over the long term isn't an indicator that someone has bought well. Absolutely not. And if they've been in the same place for 20 years, then they would have made something more than, I don't think anyone's actually lost over 20 years, but they certainly um, have lost, they can lose over five or 10. So, well, it's, But it's a difference of one, one or one and a half percent sometimes mm. that, you know, compounding over 20 years, that's, that's quite a big difference. Opportunity cost. Yeah, yeah. So the other people that uh, first home buyers often listen to that probably they shouldn't. On our friends. I mean, Aww. we value our friends' opinions and, and we bounce things around with them and 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 sometimes we're we're sort of looking for their approval in a way. Um and, and uh, it's it's almost like you're looking for some some confirmation of what you're thinking through through other people. And unfortunately sometimes with friends it's the blind leading the blind. <laughs> You sort of want to join the club a bit too. I mean, you I, do, I, I certainly noticed that one property purchase does not make an expert. Mm. And yet how many times do you hear people saying, oh, but my mate did, you know, they're bought and so they've done really well and I want to, I want to be like them, do like them, et cetera, et cetera. But what is actually right for them might not be right for you. And they yeah. may have made a heap of mistakes too and just nobody knows because at the, at the end of it all, we all think, oh, they bought a property, they succeeded because it feels like yeah. that's the big hurdle. <laughs> because that's the outcome, not yeah. necessarily the, the goal that was trying to be achieved. I've given so many talks over the years to first home buyers and, and the amount of times I've met um, people that have said to me, oh, you know, well, my friend bought a block of land in this suburb and they're going to buy a house, build a house. And so, so we have two and then, and we told our other friends to do it. And, and yeah. it's like, and okay. It's a great little community now. Yeah. And half of me thinks that's nice. As long as none of you get divorced or, or promotion <laughs> or, or get relocated or something. <laughs> Friendships fall out. Well, yeah. yeah, there's that too. And, and the other half of me thinks, oh dear, that means all of you have gone and taken the same risks at the same time in the same area, um, you know, it's it's very, very, very dangerous mm. to follow friends who've done yeah, it, it once. And, and, and we've, we've said this at different times, a number of times, one property purchase does not make an expert. Um, you know, I know, I know buyers agents, new buyers agents that are out there that have bought one property and, and, and are out there advising people. It fr yeah. frightens the pants off me, but... Um, <laughs> It's just unless you've got a collection of experiences, then really you know, I'd be looking for someone who has a greater depth um, and has been through a lot of experiences, not just one, um, to give you advice. You know, it's great to gather other people's opinions, but at the end of the day, it might not be right for you what, what everyone else is doing. But also they could have lucked it. And also mm. the other thing that often happens is that they actually have bought something that's easy to buy. 
And and this is one of our, our principles that we Home talk about. Principles. If yeah. a property is easy to buy, and, and we're talking like off the plan or brand new, it's pretty easy to buy them because there's lots, lots of, of them. Mm. But yeah. Um, you know, it, it might be difficult. Well, odds are it's going to be difficult to sell at some point down the track. And, of course, no one's really worrying about that when they're buying their first property. They're just worried about buying it. And yeah, it's, what happens in. after that? We'll worry about that later. But yeah. that's something that we really encourage all first-time buyers to really think, it's all well and good to buy this property. Well, where's my future buyer going to come from? Who is yeah. that person going to be? Because that's the person that gives me my exit strategy. Absolutely. And and if you're, you know, it's very rare these days for someone to stay in the same home for 20 years. Mm. There, There is usually some reason that you move on, um, whether that be a change in job or separation or um, new, new, new family members moving in you know, growing your family. Uh, so, so the average hold period um, is about seven to 10 years. I think mm. there's some suburbs where it's shorter, somewhere it's longer. So that's sort of an average uh, across the board. So if you think about moving every seven to 10 years, uh, you want to make sure that you understand who your future buyer for that property is going to be, because that's where your potential for capital growth comes from. Yeah. Let's go on to our next lot of friendly advisors who might be stepping outside their (laughs) area of expertise, and that's (laughs) finance brokers, mortgage brokers, and we are big advocates for Mm. having a mortgage broker. That's that's not what we're questioning here. We absolutely recommend finding a good broker to to advise you in the finance space, in in the money lending kind of space. But first-time buyers often turn to brokers in the absence of knowing where else to turn because they don't they don't know who else to go to to get advice, and and they start asking the broker for advice in areas that the broker really doesn't have that expertise. And and um, you know, so I know some of them feel quite uncomfortable being asked these sorts of questions. Yeah, I know too. I mean, we've spoken, you know, the two of us, we've both spoken to so many brokers about this and, and nearly every broker says, yes, first home buyers ask me questions mm. definitely outside. A lot of them, how do we make an offer? Should I buy this property? Mm. How much should I pay for this property? Yeah. There's all these questions and, and they they want to help because yes. they recognise that first home buyers need the help but the, and they sort of know that they know a bit more than anybody else and unfortunately property is unregulated in this regard so they a lot of them err into areas they shouldn't Mm, because mm. they're trying to be helpful, but they're not property experts. Yeah, absolutely. And, and one of the things that brokers can provide, which again, um, you and I have very strong opinions on is they'll provide a property report, which is just an automated property report, an automated valuation that that gives a range that um, an algorithm has kind of calculated that the property might be worth. Um, and th- this is something that we are very, very strong on, and that is don't cross it out. Don't even look at the price that's on the front of that automated valuation. There's some some data and some information on sales that might be helpful that you can use, but certainly the indicative price range on the front, I would be putting a big black texter through that. Um, anyone who hasn't done our free course, our free mini course, How to Price a Property, jump on, have a look at that. We really go through and analyse automated valuations, um, pull them apart and put them back together again so that you can understand what you can use out of them and what you should avoid 
They are very dangerous. And, you know, it's, there's that ANZ ad, that really sanctimonious buyer that sort of, you know, walks up to the agent who's being a bit smarmy and they went, it's all right, I don't need you because, look, I've got the app and they've got this iPad with, you know, the ANZ property report on it and they're sort of with, waving. With a price on it, yeah. Yeah, with a, with a price range of about 150000 on a, on a $600,000 purchase or something ridiculous. And they've, they're highly unuseful because... Because there might be some good info in there, and that's what we teach you in the free course. So, that mm. as me and the data on, can be used, the data can be useful, but the yeah. uh, the um, advised range. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. No, don't do not look at it. Do not be anchored <laughs> by that. It's not helpful at all. And I guess I think the other thing is we've got to be really careful if you're talking to a mortgage broker and they recommend a particular property. Mm. You know, that that would raise some red flags, wouldn't it? Because why why would a broker be recommending a property unless there's something in it for them? Yeah, and this is actually really alarming. And the more brokers I talk to and they they share their stories with me about this, the more horrified I get. And that is that there are a lot of developers out there and a lot of property spruikers, which we talk about in a minute, um, that do know that brokers have big email lists and big yes. client lists and, and very that, motivated clients aren't they you know they if, you're, are. if you're talking to a broker you're pretty serious and the broker's motivated to close the loan as well because then they start getting their trailing commissions so there are some brokers who actually will encourage buyers actively to buy brand new property or a brand new house and land package and they are getting a kickback and it's quite a sizable kickback. In fact, recently, I mean, it's twenty to $30,000 per property is not unheard of. Recently, Quite I was common. hearing deals up to $50,000. Now, that is $50,000 that you are overpaying for that property. Yep, going straight into the broker's pocket. And if they're not declaring it, then, you know, there's, there's perhaps a little bit of a conflict of interest there in the background. Although, and there's all sorts of mystifying stuff that goes on. Oh, you know, I'm declaring it, but but we got it that taken off the price and it all very confusing. Mm. So I just think if they're going into that territory, you just have to run a mile. Yeah, yeah. Or think really, you know, really hard about whether that's the right property just because they're recommending it. They're not a property expert. Mm. They're a loan, a lending expert, a lending expert. And, and that's that's where their area of expertise is. All right, let's get on to your favourite. Oh, the spruikers. So, yes, yes, we were talking about spruikers. Property spruikers are basically salespeople who sell the dream. And let's face it, there's a lot of information out there to encourage first-home buyers to buy their dream home and get on the property ladder and the whole, you know, great Australian dream, let's face it. Um, And what's scary about these spruikers is that they often frame themselves as advisors and they may even call themselves buyer's agents. Yeah, and if you're not, I've seen the advertising. So have I. And Mm. in fact, you you Google, you know, first home buyer assistance or whatever, all Mm. all those terms that first home buyers will be googling to try and find. Maybe that's how you've come across us. But you know, there are a lot of those websites that pop up, and they look on the surface like they are helping first home buyers, and particularly with giving you a lot of information about grants, in particular. Mm-hmm. But what they really are is a thinly veiled sales pitch because then you get to it and you go, what could you buy with your this money the government's giving you? Yeah. And you think, oh, my God, look at these lovely brand new houses that are available House that land I packages, 30 kilometres from the city, apartments yes. in large complexes. I know. The problem is, though, if you aren't paying somebody for advice then you are the product. You are actually being sold to somebody else who's paying that person. They're not on your side. No. So spruikers are dangerous. Yep. Uh, Someone else is. 
<laughs> Someone else is paying them if you're not because they're not doing it for free. <laughs> no, so just be careful. But they are they are like sh- uh, wolves in sheep's clothing. They pose as salespeople. They pose as uh, – actually, they don't always pose as salespeople. That's a problem. They pose as advisors. They pose as helping you with information. And I mm. just think you just got to be very careful to think – why are they giving me this information? What direction is this information pushing me in? And if that's the case, you have to basically think, oh, I have. Is this in my best interest? Is this the property that I want? Taking away the grants, taking away the incentives, taking away the fluff, the sale, the puffery. Real estate agents are fantastic at puffery, you know, (laughs) those words that they use. You know, unsurpassed views. Well, you know, there's a building over there and there's a bit of a, you know, Road road noise. Yes, it's not unsurpassed. Here's my favourite. Um, what is it? Endless possibility. Unlimited possibility. It's actually so written true. in as all the time. You go, that's not true. I can guarantee it's got limits. <laughs> the council for starters. So let's face it. These are all terms that we all see. We all see all the time. Unlimited possibility. Unlimited potential. It's like that is a lie. And look, renovator's dream, we all know what that means. Money pit. Yeah, cost, 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 cost. <laughs> Alrighty. Anyway, so we were talking um, about the... But that was that was the Sprukers. The Sprukers, yes, but also the Sprukers actually um, very much, you know, a big sign, a big warning sign there is that they really ramp up how you can maximise the amount of money the government's going to give you because that really leads on to our second biggest mistake, which is using those grants without knowing the risks and the thing is that across the country that those grants are predominantly skewed to get you buying brand new property and and and, and they're there to boost the economy for yes they're, they're not money for first time well they are money for first home buyers but the intent isn't to to help first home buyers get into the market it's actually to stimulate the building industry and to keep keep the building industry employed and going along and and um and therefore there's not been any consideration put into what is the right type of property for first timers to be incentivized to look at and that that's a concern that we have because buying off the plan or buying brand new you know there's a whole raft of risks around that and we talk about that um in quite in depth in the course and how mm. to analyze property uh but the biggest the biggest issue is the scarcity you know they they can build more of these things and if you build more and release more then the value of your own property starts to deflate I always use that analogy of a brand new car. Everyone knows you drive a brand new car out the showroom. If you mm. drive, turn around and drive back in again, you're not going to get the same amount of money back for it. Yes. <laughs> and, you know, it is exactly the same with brand new property. It, there's a premium built into the price and and along with other reasons why you won't get the money back. It's like if you think about it, if you were given $55,000, I think that's a maximum grant you can get across the country. But even if you've got anything from 10, 10,000, 20,000, however much money you've been given from the government to help you buy that property because it's brand new, mm. the next time you go to sell it because it's no longer brand new, the minute you've settled on that property, it is no longer brand new, the next buyer doesn't have that same amount of money to throw at it. So you there don't aren't any incentives for established property um, yeah. apart from one or two states. Very, very little encouragement to buy established property. So, and that's what you have to think about that you get stuck with it. So who's your future buyer going to be and will they pay as much or more than what you paid? And the answer in many cases is 
Probably not. Highly unlikely. Mm. Highly unlikely because there's the, there's the new product that comes out. So yours becomes the old product the moment you settle on it. The new product comes out, the new apartment or the new release of land or whatever the case may be. And, and that's what the new raft of first-time buyers are going to be attracted to. So yours, yeah. becomes, yours becomes the old stuff. And um, that's and everything buy, yeah, everything. If you everything buy becomes old. You, yeah, exactly. Eventually, everything dates. <laughs> so if you start with established, then you have the potential that you're starting with a base and building from that. Or if you start with new, you've got to go backwards before there's any possibility of that value going forwards. And that's something that you know. I know. I know a lot of people would go, "Oh no, you guys are just being negative." Oh, that can't really be true. If it was really true, the government wouldn't encourage so many of us to buy them. But the evidence is there. Well, you and I, you, you and I have looked at apartment complexes in our various areas of expertise. So me in Brisbane, you in Sydney, and we've looked at resales in various, mm. com- you know, me p- particularly in Chermside, Milton, West End, um, you know, where there is a lot of um, medium and high density, and resales of things under 10 years have invariably lost value anywhere between about 5 and 15%, sometimes more in some of those complexes, particularly those ones that were really, really aimed at um, foreign investors and first-time buyers. And then there's settlement risk. So this is something that sort of nobody really talked about until there was a a bit of a fall in the market back in 2017. And all of a sudden, a bunch of people that had bought property off the plan. And so this is one of the things you you buy it and the price you pay is like today's price. But what you're doing is committing to buying something when it's finished in a couple of years. So what can change between today and a couple of years? Well, the market can change. And what happened then is that the market had been rising when a lot of these people paid or put their deposits down on these properties. And when they came to settle, the market started falling. So the valuations that were coming in were for less than the price that they paid. And so when that happens, you've still got to settle on the price you paid. You're not, yeah, you're not no settling out. on yeah, the, the, that current um, market value. So you've got to find the extra money from somewhere. And if you can't find the extra money, the developers will sometimes look at you and say, well, okay, but you, know, you were buying a two-bedroom. Now you have to buy a one-bedroom. We'll, we'll let you, we'll let you um, save your deposit so you don't lose your money. But in order to do that, you have to buy a less expensive apartment. And so people that thought they were buying a two-bedroom ended up buying a one-bedroom. Some people did lose their money. And other times... You've got a situation where their their circumstances changed. Maybe they had a baby in that time. Mm. Maybe they actually changed jobs, Mm. you know, and maybe the bank, and this is actually another thing that happened, the banks changed their lending policies. policies. And And interest rates. Yeah. They don't just go down, they can go up too. (laughs) Yes. So you might not be able to afford the loan that you think you can afford today in two, three, four, however many years before that property actually um, completes and settles. So, and then I haven't even touched on. That's, that's a good point. Even, yeah, timeframes, you mm. know, the, within those contracts, those off-plan contracts, there are so many variables that work in the developer's favour, everything from how long they have to, to complete the build. Now, you might buy now, but you might not settle for four years if the contract allows for that. Yeah. How much could your life have changed by then and how many other properties could you have assessed and perhaps found to be more in line with with what you need um, if you hadn't committed to that long term. And and, and size, I mean, there's a 5% variable 
mm. in the in the developer's favour. So you might end up with you know five percent less in terms of size and what you expected to get and what, what you contractually thought you purchased. I've seen many examples of people that you know had thought they had a courtyard of a certain size and then because then the water boards come along or councils come along and said, well, actually, no, you have to run some sort of pipe through mm. the back and they've had to encase that pipe and then basically that's been raised and then they've had, and so they've had this extra area, so it's still untitled, but it's completely unusable because it's like two metres higher than the rest of the courtyard. Yeah, <laughs> and I think we, we talked about an example where someone, uh, they moved the, where the refuse bins were. Mm. So on plan they're in a particular position, this person bought off plan, but when it was actually comp- completed, the refuse bins, you know, think they're massive in big complexes. They're the big ones that the mm. trucks come along and they've got to lift them and, you know, they were underneath their outdoor entertaining area. So everybody was coming and putting their rubbish slamming gates at any time of the night. (laughs) And then the trucks would come along at six o'clock in the morning and empty the bins and then there'd be smell. And, you know, that was was the developer was able to change that. And there was no remedy for that purchaser once they arrived at the property and went, what? This is not what I'd signed up for. Yeah. There's just, uh, you know, it's... We could actually spend a few hours talking (laughs) about (laughs) these sorts of experiences and they're so common and yet the individuals that buy properties tend not to tell you their bad stories because, let's face it, it's a bit embarrassing. Nobody wants to share that. (laughs) Take it from (laughs) us. It's not fun to share at the water cooler at work. (laughs) No, you know, I'm so clever, aren't I? Look what I did. No one's going to, they don't tell you the the fails, they only tell you the the. The good stuff. Let's move on to the third big mistake that we see first home buyers make, and that is well, it actually is buying without a long term view, and it does lead on from that what we we're just talking about. Because one thing that a lot of people do when they're often trying to buy off the plan, or they will say, right, the minute I can afford a one better, I go out there and just buy it. I just go, get into I, it. I might have I might have five percent. I might know that I can save up ten percent by or twenty percent or whatever by the time the thing settles, and so I'm in and I'm on the property ladder, yay! And they've bought that one better, and then in four years' time they go to settle on that one better. They've you know coupled up and got a child. It's already out of date. I mean that's one extreme example, but we do see a lot of first home buyers buying with today in mind the idea of just like I just want to lock it in, I just want to lock it in. There's mm. this urgency. Interest rates are really low. There's all mm. these grants that I can get. Uh, I've got, you know, eighty thousand dollar deposit. I'm gonna go and get a four hundred thousand dollar one bedroom apartment because I can. <laughs> yeah. And ouch if you saved all that money, okay, even if that made, even if you made some money on that one bedroom apartment, look, I made this mistake myself, by the way. So we're mm. speaking from experience here mm. that um, I, you know, a long time ago now, 25 years ago now, I bought a very, very, very tiny apartment and that was my first property. And Was this before you were in real estate? Before I was in real yeah. estate, absolutely. Yeah. And I didn't, there was an, a number of mistakes all built in that we haven't even touched on here. But one is that I, I, I didn't even find out what my, my my capacity was, my borrowing capacity and what I could afford. I didn't even look at that. I just thought, oh, that seems like a safe amount of money. It was not very expensive okay. and it felt safe to me. So I bought small. If I bought bigger, I wouldn't have had to sell it as quickly as I had to sell it because mm-hmm. I outgrew it and then the banks changed their size limits, which meant that when I finally did buy a house, I had to sell it even though it was positively geared. 
So I mm. had positive cash flow from this because had, I had to move out after a year because I couldn't live in it anymore. I did right. move in with my ex-partner. Couldn't, we couldn't share it. It was too small to share. It was even before COVID made us all work at home. And, <laughs> and so then I had it rented out and it was, it was a good little earner. It actually got good rent. But the, and, and as I said, it was putting a little bit of money in the bank, but it wasn't growing in value hugely. Mm. It gave me mm. just enough for my deposit in my first house. But given that I had to sell it and then, you know, pay stamp duty all over again, like in, if you think about what I saved by buying it, I absolutely spent more than what I saved in the additional costs because I had to upgrade. I had no choice. There's about eight lessons in there, Veronica. There's a lot. There's a whole podcast. There's, you know, who, who to have on your team, when to talk to them, how to assess your borrowing, like all this, this eight or nine things just out of that one little story mm. that, um, that are incredibly valuable for first-time buyers to know before they make those mistakes. So, so, so stepping in. Um, and, and we talk about all of those things in the first-time you know, first buyer guide course. Mm. Um, but they're the kinds of things that you can avoid but we see people not avoid them because they don't know what they don't know. And look, I was fortunate that I was in a good paying job. I was, I was on a career path and I was doing very well and I, and, and I could have afforded more. And, and obviously when I went and, and coupled up with my ex and we went and bought a house, I mean, he was on a pretty good wicket at the time too. So between the two of us, you know, no kids and, and we were able to afford that mortgage. Mm. Um, we were fortunate or I was fortunate. I didn't get stuck on that first rung of the ladder. Right. Yeah. But if you don't have that sort of um, that ability or if your earnings are sort of re, uh, fairly predictable and they're just going to go up with CPI or whatever, you may not have that flexibility to be able to do what I did. Or if you're already mm. a couple and you bought that property and there's no future additional income coming in to, to um, get a big place, um, you know, so, and that is a real danger. And that's why, you know, you and I, we, we this, the steps that we take everyone through is important, but that, that revise and correct mm. step, step number five in our 10 step process, um, Step number five, revise and correct, allows you to review these sort of thinking around the future, around what the assumptions you're making, all the rest of it, because the the costs, both emotionally and financially, of making a wrong decision at the beginning by not thinking far enough ahead, um, they're huge. They're big, and you don't know it until you go to sell. And and I think that's the big thing is most people are not aware of any mistake they may have made um, until they actually go to put their property on the market or get it revalued. Um, and if you're revaluing to use the equity that you've built in the property to purchase another property, the bank may actually come back at you and say, well, actually, this property's worth less than what you paid for it. You now need to put more money in to keep at an 80% loan to value ratio. Now, that's a tough place to be put in if you're saving to buy the next property or to upgrade, isn't it? Yeah. And, you know, once again, for those people, and, and I guess that the flip side of this mistake, which is not thinking long-term, is actually trying to cram too much into your long-term thinking so that you don't make a good decision about this one property and that is where I do talk to people I'm sure you do too where they say right well I want to buy the first one and then after two years I want to buy an investment or this is going to be an investment after two years I'm going to buy my home and it's like hang on a minute have you properly worked out exactly A, costed all this out, B, got accounting advice, C, spoken with a, a mortgage broker who is actually an investment um, uh, strategist or, or borrowing pretty, strategist? Pretty, um, 
and C, have you got the income to be able to support two properties? And D, how are you going to ca- you know, be certain that you get the equity rise that you think you're going to get? And E, and it goes on and on and on, these questions mm. that I ask them, and they're like, what do you mean? And I'm like, what they invariably- There's a lot of things to think about. You're not well, a lot. another property, another number to your portfolio. But what the problem is and what they're mostly doing is buying a C-grade property first up so that they keep enough money aside to buy another C-grade property in a couple of years. And they're not realising that there is a massive difference to if they just bought a really good, the best one that they could possibly get now, live in that, enjoy that, then review the situation in a couple of years if they've got increased income opportunities. Well, the um, equity, in if they have gone A-grade instead of C-grade, there is a better chance the equity position, so how much they mm-hmm. owe versus what the property is worth, the equity position may be more in their favour and they can potentially use that equity to leverage into the next property. Now, that's, that's, that's a complex discussion to have with a mortgage broker about how that works, but that, that's the basis of choosing a higher quality property with higher potential for capital growth over a lower quality, lower price property. Not, not that all high price properties are A-grade. I'm not suggesting no. that at all. <laughs> but, but it is, it's, it's that, that trade-off, that opportunity cost of, of maybe, you know, holding yourself back a little bit now because you've got this desire to have a number of properties over a certain period of time rather than getting this property right and, and, and using everything that you've got to get the highest grade property, which may actually get you onto the next property quicker. That's exactly right. It, it sort of goes against, it, it, it doesn't seem logical, mm. but it actually is to focus and people will say, I want to build a property portfolio and that's great. Then make sure you get your first one right. <laughs> get a very first rung on that ladder and then we can reassess rather than sort of putting out this 20-year plan with I'm going to buy one then and then one then and I'm going yeah, to get every two years and, after that. Yeah, it's like it, You've it got actually, a lot of growth to get done in two years. <laughs> and it's never that neat. And the people that are selling you on that idea, Scroll back to mistake number two, not number one. (laughs) Who are you listening to? The people that come up with those sorts of plans are often spruikers and they're often going to take you on a little tour and show you an area where you can buy one of their you know, dual key. <laughs> with, key. With all sorts of incentives from, yes. I've seen a lot, I actually seen, we didn't touch on this, but I've seen a lot of financial incentives from builders at the mm. moment. So house and land builders, you know, you get your government grant, you get your um, stamp duty concession and we'll throw in an extra, you know, $40,000. You're not getting $40,000 from a builder. No, you're not. Because the price in, is $40,000 more. They're in, yeah, they're in business. And I know it's it's not not meant to be legal that you can actually increase the price so that you can say you can give someone a discount. But... um but there's no recommended retail price for property, and that's exactly. the thing that you know we've got to we've just got to keep reminding people there is no recommended retail price for property. You've got to work it out yourself. You've got to get that ah, bit right. Which leads beautifully to don't forget to download the free course that we have on the website, which is homebuyeracademy.com.au forward slash free course, and then that will teach you how to actually work out what price to pay. Beautiful. Now, in this episode, we've covered a very small part of our 10-step online course for first-home buyers. And if you would like to learn more about the process and how to buy without making a mistake, then head over to the website. As I said, homebuyeracademy.com.au. 
Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you won't miss an episode. And if you like what you've heard today, please give us an iTunes review, five stars, please. It will help others find us too. Absolutely. And thank you for joining us. We hope you've found this really useful. And if you have um, found it useful, please share the love with others who you know are in the same boat. We'll be back next week with more priceless stuff. See ya.